The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wine in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount. You cannot get away with this bad behaviour. What is it about Canberra and the federal political scene that they can? And it is about the bubble, but it's also about the bubble within the bubble. The people working there have never had any other experience. It's just terrible. It is all transactional for this man. And so you have to think of it like that. What does he want, Trump TV? He's going to start his own TV thing or live abroad? What's in it for him that he's getting at? It is brutal. It is brutal, this show, but it is brilliant. In what way brutal? Beth is an unusual girl, and she has a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol and drugs, but she has an even more fascinating relationship with chess. To call them the cheesecloth brigade, dare I say, back in the 80s, I loved a bit of cheesecloth. Mirrored skirt. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with cheesecloth, Joel. Get your hands off our cheesecloth. On what planet is compost potting mix? No, they are two different things. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Brendan. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 151 of our little podcast, and we have such a full agenda today. We did want to firstly thank everybody who joined our 150th last week via webinar, don't we, Caro? Wasn't it lovely to know that everybody was watching us? People say we got a little bit looser after we started trying that beautiful sparkling wine. No, from us, the, never. <laughs> from the Yarra Valley, but it was great to meet our wonderful new sponsor from Prince, wine and we're going to be talking about another great Prince product today but we're treading further afield as well Corrie aren't we? We are we're traveling to the US of A to talk to Kerry Shea Loder who is actually my sister-in-law as well um, wearing the hat of the US presidential election correspondent 2020. So we thought we'd just start with you, Kerry, before we get on to some of our more boring or more interesting housekeeping and uh, apologies and so on. How are you over there? Oh, I am doing terrific. Thank you. I, I'm honoured that I'm coming before the apologies. <laughs> well, you're, you are a keen podcast listener, I know, and you've um, over the years you've contacted me and said, don't quite get the footy references, but love the girl chat and love the book recommendations and everything. It's such a thrill to have you on, and I just wish you were here in person. Now, I have to, uh, I have to declare your interest here, Kerry, your political interest is that you are a Democrat. Our potties do know that because I mentioned a couple of years ago that you actually, after Hillary Clinton's defeat, you and a group of your um, legal colleagues and friends decided to go and march in Washington at the Women's March. And I just wondered how the past four years under Donald Trump, if we put the politics of it aside for one moment and the devastation of Democrat voters. What it's been like for you to live in America with a, with a leader, with a, with a president who has been so divisive? Well, I guess I would say it's been a, a roller coaster. Um, I, I am a Democrat. I live outside of San Francisco, which is traditionally a very liberal city. And I somewhat live in a bubble um, where probably most of the people I interact with are um, more liberal than 
or let me say they're not uh, Donald Trump fans. I do have some more conservative friends, but um, they are also conservative yet not Trumpers, if we can say. I would say the positive side, something that you um, pointed out my attending the march and all, is that I think we've had a lot more activism and participation in the processes. People have have realized this uh, election, all elections, have consequences. And so I know people who have become advocates for moms demand action against uh, gun violence or we're doing um, canvassing in Nevada. Who wants to go next week to another um, state? We're going to go door to door. My son, Jack, at age 21, was involved in a um, not a letter writing campaign because that wouldn't be for his generation. But he would text 10 people a day. He got a list and uh, had to text 10 people a day about trying to get out the vote. And um, Pod Save America had an adopt a state contest. So we're seeing a lot more. It's not the that's in addition to the roller coaster that I mentioned. Well, it has been a roller coaster. And obviously, your everything you're saying contributes to the fact that so many more Americans have voted, which we think is wonderful. We, but it's we're confused, or I'm confused. I'm not confused. I'm pretty sure about what's happened. But we've seen dancing in the streets, an unbelievable speech by Joe Biden, who really saved his best till last, and of course Kamala Harris, who both spoke so brilliantly over the weekend. And yet I'm reminded of that Anthony Hopkins film when he starred as Adolf Hitler in a film called The Bunker. In those last days, it was, you know, the last days of the Nazi regime when it all ended in death and destruction in in Hitler's bunker when he just refused for so many days to accept and understand that the war was over and he had been defeated. And I'm wondering how long you think this is going to go on and whether there's genuine concern that so few Republican senators have stood up against Trump and and said that he's lost and and so so many are still backing him. It's extraordinary. It is extraordinary. And I think um, two points. One is on the the election itself to think that, yes, um, Biden received more votes than anyone ever in the United States, 75 million. But the next closest vote total of 70 million is Donald Trump's this time. I mean, I really expected more people to come out for Biden. And I thought people had switched from Trump to Biden, but nobody had in my mind, it switched back. And yet they got out so many more votes. So that's in part this participation. But that 70 million people looked at looked at the last year and said, yeah, sign me up for more of that. It's, it, it, is, um, that is that sort of astou- yeah. is that astounding to liberal America that that's actually, and I think this is universal, this isn't a political statement, but Donald Trump's administration has mismanaged the coronavirus. Is it quite staggering that people are still signing up, as you say? It's staggering to me that, you know, what could have happened was someone tried their best in the response and then lost and said anybody would have lost in my position. You can't account for the coronavirus. But here in this situation, we have a horrific response and total mismanagement and admissions in his conversations with um, Bob Woodward, the uh, journalist who uh, broke the Nixon uh, things 40 years ago. But, you know, he, he was trying to downplay it. He was trying to hide it. And his, and his um, you know, response was he was going to try to push it to the stage and then he would step back in when it was going to reopen for the business of it all. And, and the refusal to acknowledge science. And yet 
just looking at the COVID only, um, it's, it's surprising to me that so many people said, yeah, sign me up. There could, though, be some people really want to get the economy going and are on his favor because maybe they have a small business and they want to reopen it. And so they're just saying, you know, from a financial side, I got to go with the person who's more likely to open up the economy. Maybe that's the case. It's, it's really the only thing I could come up with. Kez, you reckon that because um, it, 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 there was a bit of scaremongering on behalf of the Republicans regarding the uh, very, you know, liberal, progressive side of the Democrats that, uh, and, you know, the word socialist was tossed around more than once. We know that from what we saw on the telly. Um, do you think that's maybe had a factor? I do think that is. And predominantly within the Latino vote, I would say. You know, we talk about the woman vote or the suburban vote or the black vote, but the Latino vote is not homogenous. And so when you look at South Florida, Miami, down by Cuba, there are a lot of conservatives who are from Cuba or have family from Cuba, and they, I think, had almost a visceral reaction that yeah. Biden would be not only a socialist but a communist and that we fled that. Why would we ever vote for that? I tell you what, as, um, as, as a woman of the world, I was quite tearful and emotional when Kamala Harris made her speech. As Caro and listeners to the potty will know, I've been a bit of a Kamala fan for a couple of years now and it was really thrilling to hear her take on that speech in that moment with such joy, gravitas, but real joy after Mm -hmm. such a tense few days. What was your response? Similar, but I was surprised by it. I have all brothers. I have all sons. I have been raised always around boys. I'm in a predominantly male field, as you two are. But I was so happy and surprised because I felt like an emotional connection a little bit like, well, that I don't have any daughters, but I would be so psyched if I had daughters and they could see a woman in this position. And um, my kids are equally happy, but they just, to them, it's, it, it's really like, why wouldn't there be a woman there? Um, so it's, it is really nice. And I, I was thinking back at one of her speeches, or maybe it was a debate where she was very smiley. And my husband said, you know, why does she keep smiling? And I said, she has to, or else they'll see that she's mean or bossy or well, da- yeah, da- or David, a- David Axelrod, the former Obama advisor, described it as the angry black woman that a lot of Americans, yes. you know, it kind of turned off by that, that persona. Exactly. Getting back to, sorry, Kerry, to the reality of the moment and where we sit now, are, are you concerned that this could take months or do you think that there will be a smooth transition at some point and the Republicans will see sense? Well, I was thinking about this because I swing madly amongst four different reactions on like a continuum. On one end, I think, oh, it's nothing. He's just venting. He's personally hurt. They just have to hold his hand, and he'll get over this in a week. And then I think, well, maybe, you know, the next step I think about is how this is just a fundraising move for him. This man is transactional. He's only in it for himself. He's been putting out fundraising uh, emails for this recount or this, you know, because of this fraud. But 60% of it goes to retiring his debt, his election debt. And then a portion goes to a runoff that we're having soon in Georgia. Um, the two Senate races there, the Senate seats were not won by 50% or more, so they go to runoff. 
So those are on the side of the continuum, steps one and two that are sort of, this is going to be okay. Then I move into the other side, which is thinking, oh, my God, he's going to have to be removed. What an embarrassment. A coup. And then the coup. That's the next it, one. That, think, that's the worst case scenario. I got but, really but, worked up. But surely it won't. Surely what Trump is doing here is positioning himself to say, look, if you pardon me, Joe Biden, I will leave the White House. I'll, you know, I'll pack up the furniture, take away, take take the terrible Trump children with me, and um, it's all yours, and I'll go quietly. Do you think he's in, the, in it for a deal? Uh, that is only one part of the deal, I think. Okay. This man is transactional. There is only he only thinks in terms of what can I get out of this. So he's not thinking about the you know the country or anything like that. So it is possibly the the pardons. It's also. Just two days ago, he hired, he fired the top person at the Department of Defense, and he's been putting in as an underneath this person all sorts of political replacements. And people are saying, what's going on at the Department of Defense? Are they shredding papers? Are they covering up some terrible thing that's happened? Or is he going to start a war or threaten to start a war so that he can get something out of it? It's not that he feels that the United States must militarily change something abroad it is all transactional for this man. And so you have to think of it like that. What does he want, Trump TV? He's going to start his own TV thing or live abroad? What, what's in it for him that he's getting at? Well, let's hope, let's hope whatever it is, it takes him far away and off our television screens. Or we can watch him by choice if we want to, but at least we have the choice. Hey, great to talk to you. And um, I know it's been a very tough year, particularly with Jack and younger brother, Sean, your two kids. Shawnee, of course, was, you know, starting college at a time of COVID. Jack had to come home from college. Yeah. It's been, a, you're all working from home. Like us, you've been in lockdown for a period of the year. I know it's been a tough year, but gosh, I hope this Biden victory and just the sense of togetherness and joy that we saw on the yeah. streets is kind of emanating through the suburbs of San Fran. I would say it is. It's also even people that don't like his policies, perhaps, or think he's too old for this, and we should have found somebody younger. People believe he's a decent person. And I think that's a complete 180 from where we've been, where people have had the feeling that this was not a decent person, but I like him anyway because. Yeah. Um, so I have some hope there. Good girl. Well, hope we can see you soon. Not sure when we're all traveling, but um, we miss you. Oh, thank you. No, I thought this invitation came with a plane ticket. Yeah. Aren't I coming there? In person next time, when, when we make a bit more money. But, yeah. um, but look, thank you, Kerry, for um, – it's so great to chat. And um, I know three or four weeks ago you were, in all seriousness, discussing with me the possibility of migrating to to, to Australia. Yeah. So you know, on one level I'm sad that hasn't happened, but on so many other levels I'm happy for you and the fam – Thanks for joining well, us. Well, when I do move there, I'll know all sorts of good local tips from yeah. my favourite podcast. <laughs> oh, thanks, Kerry. Yes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those uh, who felt that Biden was a bit of a compromise. I was very concerned last week that it hadn't worked. But um, we look forward to watching it unfold. And um, take care in San yeah. Fran. Thanks for joining us. Lots of love. Thank you so much. Now, Corrie, we should also say, before we move on to our next agenda, and that was sort of great, wasn't it, to hear someone on the ground. Um, you know what she didn't tell us, Caro, which um, we didn't go into, was how uh, with a, some of her Trump voting friends, how difficult it's been in friendships over the last three or four years. I think that's a common story that we've all heard. It's been quite difficult, I think, the polarising of politics over there. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and that is political. I mean, we've seen it in a much smaller microcosm in Victoria, haven't we, with um, COVID, because COVID has become political because of how you feel about Daniel Andrews and the way he's handled it. But um, And that's been a bit tricky too. And I talked about, you know, the um, the gym WhatsApp and the bridge WhatsApp and all my lovely friends. And, you know, some of them have become political venting machines. And I understand people are they are talking frustrated. to you after you mentioned that, that they that, that you the WhatsApp group oh, had become they're, something? Actually, they're not, they're probably not even two that are, are accurate. I'm being, you know, I'm, I'm censoring. But, um, oh, they seem to be. Um, now, we've had lots of lovely responses from the 150th. We're just going to mention it one more time. Huge love for Dennis Pagan. Judy Mullen thanks us and, um, Loves the book and the movie recommendation. Says we're uniquely Melbourne. Racy range. Go girls. Look forward to your pod every week. Don't shoot pod. Was uh, Nikki, in fact, um, at Nikki Moff, said, did you see this, Corrie Perkin? And she's talked about um, the French state is actually going to pay for the delivery for all bookshops shops in France of book deliveries. Well, free postal would have been a huge benefit to us, except that Aussie Post was performing so badly for the first few weeks of lockdown there. But, look, I think that is a really great idea. There is a suggestion, too, that there's going to be some massive rent relief for bookshops as well in um, in France, and I understand that the UK Booksellers Association has discussed this as well. And, and we'll just finish this with um, Jackie McRae, who's asked us if when we're going through all our stuff, Corrie, and I know a lot of people have been visiting the op shop lately to both donate and collect and buy. Our friend Trudy has found some great bargains. But the grandmothers of Fitzroy Valley in the Kimberley are looking at donations of dresses mainly, mainly plus-sized, and tops and pants they can be posted to, and the address will be on our show notes, but it's the Mani Wantakura Women's Resource Centre, PO Box 43 and Fitzroy Crossing, WA67. Oh, what a good idea. So that's... That's um, one thing we can do. Look, it is. it has been an int- interesting week on so many levels. We want to talk about Four Corners and talk about whether private lives, particularly in the Canberra bubble, are in the public interest. But um, first of all, you're very much back in the full swing of running the bookshop. Oh, yes. We're all out and about. Calm, calm, joyful, happy to be reunited with the traffic fam- family in Ballarat, which has been lovely, the traffic spec, which is foul, and... And just in terms of the family, and I think everybody would share this too if you feel the same way as I, I just feel grateful that the family, all members who, you know, we've continued to work through lockdown, which so we've all been very lucky um, and we've been exposed to lots of people. I'm just so lucky we've all come through it. Um, Touchwood Health, okay. Yeah, well, for um, most I people. Know fam- I know yeah. lots of families where somebody has had COVID and it's been worrying and, and there have been ongoing health issues with some people and that is worrying. So I do feel pretty yes, blessed. It does I sound like it, there, there are symptoms include something like chronic fatigue. Exactly. And obviously respiratory problems. So we're thinking of all of you out there and please do take care of yourselves in your rest and recharging and repairing. On the, on the positive, they've opened the border to New South Wales or they will in a week or two. And time. you'll be off. Won't see you for dust. I'm planning a road trip, I must say. I'm thinking that might be something I might do. I'm very f- happy that most of the family are going to get here for Christmas. Um, I'm not enjoying the traffic. I'm not enjoying having to go through my diary. I mean, it, the only diary issue I had for the last six months was making podcast to do Don't Shoot the Messenger <laughs> because everything else was set in stone. So that's been interesting. I, a lot of people have put on weight. A lot of people have lost weight. A lot of people are drinking too much. Some have given up drinking. I mean... 
there's been these wildly fluctuating sort of personal habits. Well, um, it, well, there is. And just you mentioned the traffic and shopping. I just wanted to say I think I've kind of worked out how to do this. Um, and it not doesn't just apply to me as a retailer, but it also applies to me as a mother and grandmother who has to get the skates on at some stage and do the Christmas shopping. Big tip, shop local. Like, it's not rocket science and we it's not it a new idea. Year, we Corrie. say it every year. We so every year. instead of, you know, schlepping around five suburbs to different shops or, or going to somewhere like Southland or Northland where you think, oh, I'll just go and do it all, which can be quite stressful in itself, think about your local shopping centre. Or if, or if you don't have a, such a great village, think of places like um, Rathdown or Largon Street in Carlton or Williamstown has a beautiful village. High Street, Armadale, particularly if you're after clothes, um, Church Street, Brighton, Carrow, Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, the Yarraville Village, and also do think about Click for Vic, who are one of our sponsors of our podcast. We'll talk about them a little bit later, but Click for Vic, you can actually just shop with all of the regional Victoria fantastic produce, great artisans and so on. Just click and it'll arrive in a box, as you and I have been discovering with joy each time we click for Vic. So that's another one as well. I reckon that's some, um, that, those are the, my best shopping tips. Do you have any shopping tips? And go early, go early or go late. Yes, well, you gave me that tip and I sadly didn't take it. You went to Bunnings late one day. I mm, think six o'clock. You realised they were open until eight o'clock on Thursday nights. I made the mistake of going there at 11am uh, one day and the queue was so long I just thought, no. Well, and the other thing too I is that- I got back in my car and I drove of, away. Yeah, and a lot of tradies, particularly during the week, you know, they'll they'll run out of something and they go to Bunnings and they, you know, of course should have access because it's part of their workplace and their work. But um, yeah- I, on that, Carol, and we were, you and I were chatting about that the other day, if you've got local shops you want to visit and you think, even if it's a bookshop or a dress shop or a homeware shop or whatever it is, and you want to do your Christmas shopping, ring them or go onto their website, look at the hours of trading, because I tell you what, potties, those of us who haven't been able to trade for 100 days, we are throwing everything at the fire. We are open late. We're working Sundays. We've got pick and pack and collect. We've got websites operating. So just... Just think a little bit about contacting your local trader and saying, what are your hours open? Can I come at 6 p.m.? Yes, because not everybody has taken that attitude. A lot of people have realised that they can save money by opening less and relying more on online shopping. And so I've gone to a couple of places, my local post office, for example, that is no longer open on Saturday, that is no longer open at 9am but 10am, that no longer shuts at 5 but shuts at 4. So... Not every- Just check. No, you have to check. You have to check on websites or give people a call, but it's such a good tip. And you mentioned food, Caro, um, the ballooning of weight or the losing of weight or so on. I read a really interesting article in the UK Telegraph this week, and Boris Johnson, of course, is still saying, well, they're in lockdown, of course, but he's been saying for months, work from home for as long as you can, even into 2021. And a dietitian, Lily Souter, I'm not sure who she is, but she is eminently qualified, said that she's very concerned about people who are um, working from home, eating at their desk. And she says, you must avoid this. You must avoid eating in front of your phone or the TV because you're eating in a distracted manner. And because you're not mindful about what you're eating, you tend to be eating stuff that's high in sugar, fat and salt. And you're not exactly, you know, 
jumping into a banana or an apple or something like guilty, that. Guilty, guilty. Oh, no, I ate healthy food, but I ate far too much and I'm really guilty. And it's the mindless grazing, I, isn't it? Well, no, I just have to. I'm always eating with a magazine in front of me or something on the TV or my computer screen. No, really bad habit. So, so Lily bad says habit. for those who are still working from home, and this applies to Melburnians, try to avoid working in the kitchen because it's so easy to graze on snacks during the day. Um, and if you are tempted, put all of those foods that you think are going to tempt you, the packet of chips or the shortbreads, just stick them in a cupboard or the counter. I've actually been putting stuff in the fridge, Caro, because there's nothing worse than a cold shortbread. That's what I did with the sweet biscuits that were hanging around. And then after a couple oh, of weeks... I love it I, cold. <laughs> I love it cold. Well, it broke my teeth. Anyway, so there's just a couple of tips there. And um, and Suta also says that... Um, some good quality meal replacements always have you know drinks water is good for making you feel 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 filled up and grains and all of that sort of stuff so there you go i thought that was a really um great well, that's idea. sort of if you don't mind me saying that's sort of a lesson for life really not for post covid probably isn't it and carol what about polly's behaving badly woohoo four corners and q and a and you text and said Oh, one of the benefits of not doing Monday night television anymore. <laughs> I, well, I never get to see all these shows. I, I tend to watch I watch them on iView if it's interesting enough, but that was absolutely riveting television. Ending up on um, Monday night with um, Paul Kelly, the writer, the journalist and commentator, Paul Kelly, just yelling at Malcolm Turnbull, how dare you tell me how to run my professional life or my career? I mean, it got really heated on Q&A on the constitutional crisis, on um, Rupert Murdoch. I mean, this Kevin Rudd campaign that started a few weeks ago, and of course the Murdoch press then started smashing him and digging up dirt about him, including some long ago unknown link with Jeffrey Epstein, which was pretty bizarre. But then both of them on uh, Insiders on Sunday, Malcolm Turnbull and Kevin Rudd on the special American election edition, just smashing what the Murdoch press has begun and picked up again on Q and A, um, on Q and A, but yeah. with but Paul more- Kelly, Paul Kelly being um, the the Australian's political editor, but and and I must say, in Paul Kelly's defence, and I have worked with him because I worked at the Australian. Paul has never been an apologist for Murdoch. You know, it just happens to be you know the paper for which he works. But he was defending, or he was saying with with regard um, the Christian Porter story and so on, which had been on Four Corners just before. Was it in the public's public interest? Did the public have a right to know? And went on and on this tangent about, you know, it's inappropriate, it shouldn't be. And Malcolm Turnbull just said, could you just remember the front page of the Sydney telly when Barnaby Joyce's yep. partner was photographed when she didn't realise crossing the road pregnant and the horrendous, scandalous headline and words that accompanied it. Look, there, there Gosh, is, it was a really interesting debate. I, I, think, I think when you completely unpack it all, as they say, and strip it back to the bare bones, yes, politicians from all sides clearly behave badly and have affairs. And Canberra is a particularly poorly designed sort of institution, isn't it, that happened through an accident of history. And it means that mostly politicians are living in a bubble away from home without their families. And therefore, heavy drinking follows as it does in any highly charged atmosphere and um, womanising. But the the point that um, Louise Milligan made was that there are significantly less women now in the Liberal ranks 
and on the Liberal front bench than there were 20 years ago, whereas in Labor, they've gone up an incredible amount. I mean, in the end, you can't run away from those figures. The other the other point is that, um, and, you know, there were two ministers who he zeroed in on, um, Alan Tudge and the Attorney-General Christian Porter. The point is both campaigned heavily on family values. And it was when you saw Alan Tudge make his speech about why he wasn't going to be voting yes to same-sex marriage in, in that amendment, in the proposed um, referendum that ended up getting up anyway, and you knew what he was doing with his staffer. Um, was it Rochelle Miller? Um, yes. Ra- Rachel who's, Miller. Who's who- Rachel has subsequently come, uh, is now... Um, has made a complaint against um, Michaela. Bullying. Yeah, Michaela and, and, and Michaela Cash as well. Mm. Well, she was moved on. She felt like damaged goods. She went to work for another minister. She was also married, and you have to say that she also did the wrong thing. I mean, she was unfaithful to her husband, just as Tudge was unfaithful to his wife. But as Malcolm Turnbull pointed out, you know, there is a power imbalance, and that is why this so-called bonking ban was introduced. I mean, it, it is a bit of a hypocritical ban in a sense, and I see that um, Albanese has come out and made it even stronger that every Labor Party, not only minister, not not only ministers or shadow ministers, but whether you're in the cabinet or shadow cabinet or not, nobody can have an affair with their staff. That's males, females, any other le- staffers, but not their own staff. Yep. Where there's a power issue, exactly. Yep. And and I just think that you know, in the end. The Barnaby Joyce one, well, by the time this ban was introduced, Barnaby Joyce had restarted a relationship, restarted a family with the woman he was having an affair with. And it was clearly, according to Malcolm Turnbull the other night on Q&A, also based on um, stories he had heard, including Christian Porter. But it was a bit flimsy, wasn't it, when he when he had a go at Christian Porter simply saying there are spies and people will see. He wasn't yeah. sort of saying you're campaigning on family values yeah, except and that he you're was, being a hypocrite. He was being interviewed for the Attorney General's job and, and you are then uh, – you're a senior member of the ministry and you are privy to huge state secrets. And it, and we just think of what happened with John Profumo. Yeah, you, you get know, compromised. Yeah, you get compromised. You're sleeping with somebody who's sleeping with a spy perhaps or something happens. What about was digging really up the university dirt? Uh, look, on Christian Porter. Oh, you know, there's a part of me that just thinks that's just um, disgusting and how the, how somebody with that sort of core ethic, even as a I mean, 19, 20, 21-year-old, I don't say they're children because they're not, but how did he get through the pre-selection process? That's what I would like to ask. Like, what? who did the, who did the you know, <laughs> the research into his background? Because I just don't think that's appropriate, saying, oh, you know, I was part of a fun thing and we walked around, you know, drinking as much as we could with a bag of sick tied to us and every time we vomited, we vomited in the bag. Look, I'm, well, sure I'm sorry, but I just don't actually want somebody with that background. Well, no, you know, I, I think... Running my country. I never did that, but I don't know what our children have done um, in similar circumstances. And some of our children were at university and went to college. But I'm sure there were some disgusting things that they were part of. I and, just and find that we just did. Real. But also he made comments, Caro, negative. No, it was mon- the comments. Comments toward oh, women. I think I think the bad behaviour I can it's cop. It's like Brett Kavanaugh all over again in I a would hate sort of to way. think. I would hate to think that some of the things I did, you know, when I was young, and I'm not talking about breaking the law or being violent or anything like that, but some of it would be pretty embarrassing. But I was talking to Brendan about it and he said, come on, if you read that I had written that, even as a 19, 20-year-old, you'd be horrified. And he'd I went, be, yeah, yeah no, that's slightly, true. Slightly dimi- he would be slightly diminished in your eyes. What just about, one, just what about one his quick theme comment song I... about women, though? Oh. Another one bites the I, know, I mean, I'm sorry it's to laugh. Like, it's just no, horrific. If people haven't seen the Four Corners episode by Louise Milligan, 
Morgan, you know, Sorry, who, who is on. an award-winning journalist. She's great. Caro, the other day, just to finish up on this, the other day um, it's the, the bookshop ran through its My Bookshop Talks webinar series. We interviewed the great, wonderful Barry Jones, age 88, and still passionate about saving the world. His new book, What is to be Done, was the topic of the webinar. And during it, we were talking about, um, you know, leadership in Canberra. What is it about Canberra? So few sitting days. Our, our politicians have fewer sitting days than any other democracy in the world. It's really incredible. But Barry was saying that uh, what worries him is that um, 30 or 40 years ago, someone like Clyde Cameron, right, so Labor Party guru, he was a shearer who left school at 15. He was one of the great debaters. He was an autodidact. He taught himself all sorts of things, history, politics, huge reader. And whenever he spoke in the chamber, Barry said everybody would come to listen. And what happened? And, and you had men and women from diverse backgrounds. Some had worked in, in commerce, some had worked as teachers. You know, there was a raft of experience. He said, what happens now and what worries him is that You'll have a Labor or Liberal Liberal Party staffer who's come out of university, perhaps with a politics degree, and they just, they work hard and they wait and wait, and then suddenly there's a tap on the shoulder, oh, we've got a seat going. There's going to be a, you know, do you want to stand? There's going to be a by-election. So these people then move into Parliament, and they've been in that spot all their lives. Now, Barry made the comment that, which I think Malcolm and also Louise Milligan's, um, Louise Milligan made in her uh, report, is that worldly experience and the current climate in 2020 is that, you know, the gender politics, men and women in the workplace, there are certain things now that are not acceptable as they were 10 or 20 years ago. And if you go and work in a law firm or or a school or, or a newspaper office or something, you cannot get away with this bad behaviour. What is it about Canberra and the federal political scene that they can? And it is about the bubble, but it's also about the bubble within the bubble. The people working there have never had any other experience. It's just terrible. Well, yeah, although Malcolm Turnbull has. And oh, that, yeah. and oh he yes, found he it, has. And he found it hard, therefore, to become a political beast because he really wasn't one. And in the end, that you know that was his undoing twice. But isn't it sad but, that our political parties are not embracing people who have come from other spheres? Well, I'm disappointed, though, that given what he knew, that he still made Christian Porter Attorney General. We should say that Christian Porter is, I mean, Alan Tudge has apologised and, and said he regrets certain things. Christian Porter apologise for what he said in the uni magazine back in Perth, back in the day, but denies he was canoodling with a woman in the bar in Marnica. Now, so many people saw it. Um, Other politicians say that, you know, this woman, alleged woman who he says denies it as well, had confided in politicians about the affair. So it's very hard to know what's going to happen here. He's threatened legal action. But as you say, someone's allowed to have an affair, but... You've got to remember that if you do, you could be compromised. And I think that's Malcolm's point. You know, you could be compromised by some external force. And Malcolm's saying he didn't know that much about it, but he did still make him Attorney General and his main concern was people might see, you know. So he doesn't come out of this completely shiny as well. But, you know, it was a really interesting debate and, um, yeah, onward. We'll be hearing more about that, I feel certain. Caro, we're going to uh, go to the cocktail cabinet now. We love our new segment. We do. Always the one. Prince Wine Store is responsible for this segment. They have come on board. Uh, as new sponsors and friends of 
um, Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. Thank you very much, Prince. And we loved meeting Tony last week. He was uh, fantastic. As, um, and he'll come on every now and then and chat to us about wine. Not today, though, because we're going to be talking about gin and tonic. And we thought we know so much about this topic. We could fly <laughs> fly on our own. But thank you, princewinestore.com.au. Um, and there is a special offer on this. So listen to what we're about to talk about. And then I'll tell you about the special offer. We had a little bottle of gin and a little bottle of tonic and Tony's brief was, can you send us the gin and the tonic that you really love at the moment? And so, reaching for my little bottle. Copper Rivets Distillery Dockyard Gin. Dockyard Gin. And this um, this is a really um, fabulous, uh, it's, it's a distillery, it's a relatively new one. Caro by um, a chap called Bob Russell and Sons and uh, it comes, uh, th- this gang of Bob Russell and the Sons set up this uh, in a Victorian, old Victorian pump house which is now in Chatham Dockham South in London and they set this up as a distillery. They're employing people, they're sourcing their own wonderful crops, harvest wheat, barley, rye and so on from farmers that are not far from the Thames area. They're also doing a damson gin and the one we had that um, from from the dockyard, um, we had with Dr Strangelove tonic, the coastal tonic. They're gorgeous little bottles. They You can also get a thing from Dr Strangelove called Dirty Tonic, which goes down very nicely with the Four Pillars Green Olive Gin, just saying. But this one, and there's also a, a light tonic, which is a bit less in calories, but this is beautiful, this coastal tonic. And did you have yours with a da- – I had mine with a dash of lime with my friend Sal. We shared our little bottle. No, well, I had the entire bottle to myself, so – so there you go, <laughs> Jane's. We had another. We might have Jane's. had another drink or two afterwards. Jane's well. laughing. No, instead of having a glass of wine last night, I had my little bottle of gin. It was great. So what? So so gin and I have an interesting relationship, Carol. I I love a gin and tonic. It was my mother's favourite drink back in the seventies. And when I first, I'll never forget when I first went into a bar illegally in those days. It was easy to get into the Morris pub, and I got into the Bowie pub at the age of sixteen and ordered a gin and tonic. I thought I was so sophisticated, and I nearly gagged because obviously. Obviously, it was just a beef eater, you know, some cheap and nasty, you know, rubbish. And I thought it was terribly chemical. Um, But I do love a good gin. And throughout my life, I've always loved a gin and tonic. Interestingly, love one after skiing, which sounds very Peter Stuyvesant ad of me, I know, to say that. But I just find it after, it just, I love it. I love it after you've done a bit of exercise. Love it in summer. End of a hot day. Yeah, Yeah, it's great. This one, um, the deal is, and you can get in touch, we should say, with Prince, princewinestore.com.au or Googling them. And that's where you'll find them. They obviously have some wonderful outlets, including one in um, South Melbourne, Albert Park. But um, this was introduced to our friends at Prince by Gerald Diffie. Now, Gerald runs that wonderful bar in Rathdown Street, Carlton, called Gerald's, and he's yeah. also got one in San Sebastian, as you do. As you do. <laughs> I've never been there, but my friends, Rick and Sal, have, and they say it's great. Anyway, as you say, it's Bob Russell and Sons, and the sons are Matthew and Stephen. It comes from um, that dockyard, Chatham, just south of London, and I thought it had a real kick. I thought it was a great I gin. did too. And you know what I loved about it, Caro? I, and I don't know what I'm talking about with gin tasting, but you know sometimes a gin can have a slightly kick chemical taste to it. You yes. know, it's a bit um, 
not metally. I can't explain it. This was a really smooth taste. The, the tonic also, I have to say, was um, was really great. I know you're a tonic girl, but Coastal Tonic is by Strange Love is really terrific. No, so I, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It retails at $90, but um, podcast listeners can buy a bottle for $80. So this is, you know, an expensive bottle of gin, but... The good designer gins seem to be costing that much now. Obviously, Four Pillars is getting right up there. Um, Poltergeist, which are two of my other favourites are Tasmanians. There's one called Poltergeist and, an, and another wonderful distillery, McHenry's, which is near Port Arthur, which is a, and they do a great Christmas gin, as do, of course, Four Pillars. And the other one I remember, Corrie, was when we were on our Cornish walk. Remember, we walked over Atlantic Bay and then I saw the Atlantic Bay gin in the bottle shop. Oh, it was so expensive, but I had to buy it. And you made wanted to from, keep the bottle mainly as an interior design element, but made, the gin was pretty good too. For the lemon cordial. <laughs> made, made from all those um, lovely botanicals that they found on Atlantic Bay. I always find that pretty funny. Yeah, but look, it's it, it, it was a really good drop potties and as Caro said, it's not inexpensive, but uh, look, I tell you what, if you get onto Prince Wine Store, go and visit them, princewinestore.com.au. Use the promo code MESS, M-E-S-S, as in messenger, at the checkout and then you'll receive a special listener discount. And Caro, I think t- our lovely new friend Tony Noel is coming back next week. We're going to talk about Chablis and Tony's going to give us a bit of a lesson. So, Am I going to, am I going to um, convince you to enjoy rosé at yeah, some point Yeah, I think we might, we might do that the following week actually. So uh, Tony and I are planning all of this. You just settle back and let us do the work and do the choosing. That'll be fine. So that was our cocktail cabinet for this week. Thank you again, princewinestore.com.au. Now, um, I thought I was going to have a crush this week. Oh, you said you wanted to be grumpy. No, I said, that's all right. That's okay. Did you? Yep. Okay. All right. Well, you go with yours. That's fine. I'll save mine till next week. Um, okay. Well, can you think of something to be grumpy about? <laughs> <laughs> Heaps. I'll think of something. I have a crush on Jerome Weimar. Because this is a bloke, you, you will know this bloke, he's got a bit of an English accent and he's doing a lot of press conferences at the moment. He's a testing commander for the health department. He used to work with the Department of Transport in the Victorian government. He's come in and he has changed the way they are testing. Well, he seems to have completely redesigned and has overseen the testing of COVID-19. Now, as we sit here today... He's a great communicator on the telly too. Who knows? Who knows where we are going to end up? But we now have had 13 days of not one case and not one death. And that is just wonderful news. Only three active cases in Victoria as we sit here today, down from four yesterday, Corrie. And I have to say, he was brought in because he obviously had great organisational skills and you'd have to say he's done a pretty good... I'm not saying he is the only reason that we have finally seemed to be on the right track here, but I think that is just wonderful news. So he is my crush of the week. Well, that's a very good crush, Caro. Um, not making any political statements, just reckon he's done a good job. No, that's like we never make political statements here. So on to book, screen and food. And I wanted to talk about a book, Carol, which you are going to love and I will yes. loan it to you. It's I want to hear about it. Trio by one of my favourite, well, born in South Africa but now lives in England, um, authors William Boyd. This is William Boyd's 16th novel. If you've never read him, can I suggest that you do? Pretty much every book, The Ice Cream War, um, the, oh gosh, a wonderful one set at the turn of the century in Paris, 
turn of last century. Um, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, he is a he is a beautiful writer, and the book Trio is set in 1968 England, Caro, and um, a group of filmmakers are making one of those wacko, you know, movies. Remember, they're all rather psychedelic and. Um, you know, I'm thinking of blow up and all of that sort of thing. So we're in that kind of era and that moment uh, and there are three key characters. We have to remember this is 50 years ago, so this is actually, you know, could be considered an historic novel. Um, but it's an, it's an era and movies, of course, that you and I are very familiar with. There are three characters in this Boyd novel. Elfrida Wing, who is a writer, Talbot Kidd, who is a rather debonair former army officer, World War II army officer, who is now a film producer, and Annie Vickland. And Annie is uh, a beautiful actress from America who has come out to England to make this film. And they're making it in Brighton, of all places. Things get pretty connected. Even though these three characters are disconnected, they become connected in um, several different ways. Um and what I really loved about the unpacking of, of these their characters and, you know, Elfrida, the the novelist who hasn't had a hit novel for 10 years, has writer's block, but she also has a secret alcohol problem. The film producer uh, is keeping it very much under wraps that he, he is uh, gay. And even though married happily with two children, he has a very secret life. And Annie is uh, has secrets of her own um, that go back to her first marriage, a very difficult ex-husband who keeps popping up, and she's having a lovely affair with the leading man of the film. But it's um it, it's not a, it's not a comedy. It is a really moving novel, and it sort of really focuses on the quiet lives, the inner lives and the outer lives of human beings. And it is a novel about identity. I loved it. I was not bored for one second, but William Boyd's writing in particular is a, is is the hero in all of this. Love it, love it, love it. So he, he wrote A Good Man in Africa and The Ice Cream War. Yeah, The Ice Cream War. Yeah, you would have read that ages ago. I, I can't. Love, I think, is it Love is Blind is the novel that was most recent set in yes. Paris? Yeah, that was fabulous. The only No, I, ha, I couldn't. When you were mentioning it to me the other day, I was trying, wrecking my brains, Any Human Heart is the one I've yeah, read. Yes. But I think he's a great writer. I don't, I don't know terrific? why I've never come across him again. Yeah, well, he's 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 prolific. So, um, I, trio by William Boyd, and you have a screen. I do, and it, most people will have seen this by now. And we've I don't did we mention it last week? The Queen's Gambit. Um, you were about to watch it, I think. Yeah. Weren't you? Oh, look, I still haven't finished it. Most people I know who've watched it have just binged it and have finished it. Well, my my daughter Francesca nights. said it's the best thing that she's watched on Netflix or whatever it's on all oh, year. It is absolutely is it riveting. Netflix? Uh, yeah, it is Netflix. And there was a, a period when you turn on Netflix and, you know, it just came straight on. And we were finishing, well, we finally finished Yellowstone. Oh, my Lord. Carnage and death and destruction. But anyway, this is a story. Spoiler alert. <laughs> this is a story of. There goes the farm. Chess. Oh, childhood abuse, alcoholism. It is the most, it, it's meant to be loosely based on the Bobby Fisher story. And it does involve. Um, I gather in the last episode we might end up in Russia, but Anya Taylor-Joy plays Beth Harmon, a chess prodigy, who discovers her rather weird and mystical relationship with chess when she is in an orphanage in um, 
somewhere in the South of America. Anyway, she is an absolutely brilliant actress. There are so many brilliant actors and actresses in this show, including Thomas Brodie Sangster, who plays a male chess prodigy with whom she has a bit of a fling and they have a bit of a love-hate relationship. And he's a little kid from Love Actually, who is Liam Neeson's son who's lost his mother and has the crush on the American girl. Well, he's now all grown up. But, Corrie, it is just, it is brutal. It is brutal, this show, but it is brilliant. In what way brutal? Oh, Beth is an unusual girl and she has a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol and drugs, which sort of starts in the orphanage and you just have to watch it to and see it to believe it. But she has an even more fascinating relationship with Chess, where she's lying in bed one night in the orphanage and she's discovered a, a janitor downstairs in the sort of bowels of the orphanage who teaches her to play. And she starts, she sees um, chess moves and chess boards on the ceiling of the orphanage from her bed at night. And you don't know whether that's because of some of the, oh, they prescribe these kids with, you know, um, basically with um, some form of sedative. I don't know whether it's Valium or what it is. It becomes illegal and they stop doing it. But but by the time they stop, Beth is well and truly addicted. So, um, oh, it's fascinating. It is just fascinating. She is then adopted by a very unusual couple who have some real issues of their own. But the scenes, Corrie, in Florida, in Mexico, um, you know, because it's set in the 60s, the musical score is unbelievable, is unbelievable. And this girl, this girl who plays Beth Harmon, who, as I say, it's interesting. Oh, and there's some scenes in Paris too. You would just die. The opening scene in a Paris hotel room. But Anya Taylor-Joy, absolutely brilliant. The Queen's Gambit. I think it's about six episodes. It's fantastic. Um, good. That's good. Now I have a recipe and in fact, uh, I know you love this recipe too, because, uh, we were talking about it the other day, how much we love a good salsa verde. We do. And you're going to tell me how to make it. I was, well, I was going to give you the whole recipe, which is a pasta recipe, which I cooked on the weekend and we both absolutely loved. It's called Always Add Lemon is the cookbook by Danielle Alvarez, who is the head chef at Fred's in Sydney. I've talked about this cookbook before. This is my cookbook for the summer potties. This is a fabulous book. She's the chicken drumstick girl, you know, the chicken oh, with the orzo. Fam- yeah, your yeah, famous chicken yeah, and drumstick. Which has got lemon and dill and oh, it's absolutely beautiful. Well, she has an American background and I think that shows through in all of her cooking. And the reason it's called Always Add Lemon is it because apparently she's always saying to her, colleagues in the kitchen. Can you just add a bit of lemon to that? Now, the salsa verde, so we had this on pasta. It had a couple of other little things in it, but I won't give you that recipe. I'm just going to give you the salsa verde. This this is says it serves eight to 10 people, but we had so much on our plates. You might just say maybe four, possibly. Two tablespoons of finely chopped shallots, three tablespoons of red wine vinegar or lemon juice. Can I just tell you that I am a huge fan of red wine vinegar? I think it's just the best. One teaspoon of salt, one bunch of flat leaf parsley, which is the Italian sort, and one bunch of chervil. Now, I couldn't find any chervil when I just all of a sudden randomly decided to cook this the other night uh, at the local local supermarket. So I had some chives in the garden and I actually threw them in. Tarragon's a good substitute too. Good. Thanks for the tip. Um, 100 mils of extra virgin olive oil. Hello, Mr. Cobram. I hope you've forgiven Clementine. And three anchovy fillets finely chopped and two and a half tablespoons of salt-packed capers. 
So they're the ones that are all salty and crusty and you have to rinse them and then chop them off, that chop chop them up. They are different to regular capers, I have to say. And you just basically put all of this into the whizzer and away you go. Um, it is salsa verde. I cannot recommend it more highly to as an accompaniment for things like chicken and fish, even lamb. But Asparagus. Oh, topped on asparagus. Oh, that would just be heaven with a bit of... Parmigiano Reggiano grated over the top. But in this pasta dish, which also had toasted almonds and lots of chilli and stuff, just to toss it through, it was really the perfect night's dinner. So that is the Salsa Verde recipe from Always Add Lemon by Danielle Alvarez. Miss Jane will have it on our show notes. I'm now pivoting, as they say, hate that word, onto grumpy because I thought I was crushing, but I'm grumpy. Well, while you while you pivot into your grumpiness, can I just um, mention our friends at Visit Victoria? And oh, click please for Vic? do. And uh, only because Jackie Croyle got in touch, and I must say I read this absolutely riveted because it's a sort of travel tip I love. It's three days and lots of restaurants and lots of little tips, Corrie. So she um, lives in Gippsland and went on a three-night road trip to Lakes Entrance. First night, Central Hotel in Lakes had their signature dish, seafood chowder, delicious. Second day, Meetung Hotel, huge seafood platter of fresh local seafood, ridiculously priced at $38. Third day, light lunch, um, after all of that, I should think so, Jackie, <laughs> at the Nicholson River Winery. Great food, brought some of her favourite Chardonnay and rosé, but the highlight was um, of the whole trip was a wonderful dinner, another dinner, Jackie, at Froggy's French Bistro in Lakes Entrance on, a, on her last night. She says it's the best French food she's eaten outside of France. She's taken it through the whole night. Duck and green peppercorn terrine as the entree. Best terrine she's ever had. Um, it's a small bistro one run by a French couple. She just loved it. So, Jackie, this is the sort of thing we want to hear from all of you. www.visitvictoria.com forward, sl- forward slash click for Vic and you'll see a huge array of dining and, and delivery options and also wine and spirits and local produce and gifts. So please, we'd love to hear more recommendations, wouldn't we, Corrie? We would, Caro. Um, so thanks for that click for Vic, and thank you very much, Doesn't Jackie. Doesn't that sound like fun? That Jackie, that sounds days. like a that sounds like a um, a very fulsome three days. I like those ideas very much. And everyone, don't forget click for Vic and get the best of Victoria delivered at visitvictoria.com backslash click for Vic. So that would be. C-L-I-C-K-F-O-R-V-I-C, or just follow the links which will be in our show notes. Caro, I am grumpy, not about Jackie's trip, that sounds heaven, but I am grumpy about an interview that I listened to on Radio National on the Brekkie program this week, and Fran Kelly was talking to Joel Fitzgibbon, the former Labor frontbencher who has decided to take himself off to the backbench because of divisions within the party over climate change. And he was being interviewed by Fran. As we know, Joel Fitzgibbon represents an area in New South Wales which where there is coal um, manufacturing and dispensing of. And he, which I admire, said that he was uh, he was in Parliament to represent his constituents and his constituents would not agree with current Labor Party discussions about climate change. So he was off to the backbench. But in this interview, he chastised what he called the cheesecloth brigade. And I was driving at the time and I yelled at the radio, what the hell do you mean by that? Now, we do know what he means by that. He's just, he's, it's his way of talking about people who are environmentalists, environmentally aware, possibly woke 
people in his party? I don't know. But to call them the cheesecloth brigade, apart from the fact you have to kind of think about that for a minute and dare I say, Back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, I loved a bit of cheesecloth, a bit of a mm. caftan from bit of a mirror, Andy Crafts. Mirror, mirrored skirt. <laughs> Andy Crafts of Asia. There's nothing wrong with cheesecloth, Joel. Get your hands off our cheesecloth. You remember that sports writer for the Australian, great writer, Jeff Wells? Yeah, yeah. Named Hippie yes. Wells. He used to say that they, they, that not did they tuck their, tug their, they tug, they used to tug at their um overall, their overall buckles in anger. You know when they were getting angry about some issue in the newsroom. I think the overall buckles were like the cheesecloth brigade. Anyway. I, just, I just found it incredibly disparaging. And and but apart from anybody who loves cheesecloth, as do I, it's also really disparaging to millions of Australians who, myself included, who are really. Uh, becoming more and more concerned about the impact of, of climate change on our planet and we want to get involved and we want to get connected and we want our leadership of both parties, all three parties, including Greens, to help us along on the journey of understanding. You know, watching the David Attenborough amazing Netflix documentary is one step in the right direction. Reading Barry Jones's new book is another step in the right direction. But come on, leaders, and don't talk about people who have these sentiments as the cheesecloth brigade. Well, there's a lot of divisions in the opposition at the moment over climate change. Actually, I'm really glad I got grumpy at the handball at the last minute. (laughs) No, you did well. There are deep divisions. I myself up into a frenzy. And if Joe Biden, you know, is true to his word and rejoins the Paris Paris Agreement, you know, it's going to be interesting what Scott Morrison does. Anyway, Corrie, it is time for quick questions. What was your latest post-lockdown, well, what was your latest post-lockdown related thrill? It was, well, apart from seeing the children and the grandchildren and shopping and sitting in a cafe and all of that, toes. Oh, yep. Yeah. Oh, Getting them painted, it's nice. I recognise them again. Yep, I know. Well, and I cho- or, or and you I chose- don't, which is better. <laughs> <laughs> and I chose the prettiest pink. And in fact, I forgot because I was going to wear, oh, damn it. I was going to wear a pair of thongs today to show you and Jane my new feet. But um, I put my runners on instead. That was dumb. So if we're talking about post-lockdown activity, Caro, what's your latest post-lockdown related tanty? Oh, well, you asked, I told you about this and you said I had to repeat it. And it's not, this is not anything that is going to be majorly critical of my husband, but I was a bit disappointed the other day when the Bunnings man, who I found out home delivered, arrived. A, and this wasn't Brendan's fault. He forgot the garden stakes, which was the main reason for the delivery. They weren't there. Okay, they didn't charge us, but oh, they weren't there. And there's been a lot of online shopping issues too. On, on what planet is compost, potting mix. No, they are two different things. I'm just going to leave it at that. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, Brendan. Soil improver is not potting mix. Corrie, at what point did you get emotional during um, last week's US election day, which turned into five days? Well, I did hear it live when Wolf called it at 3.10 p. 3.10 a.m., I think it was, Wolf on uh, CNN. I was awake. I know that. Well, it probably doesn't shock most people who know me, but I was awake and then, of course, was riveted for the next four hours. Van Jones on CNN, when he came on and broke down on live television, and said, it's easier to be a parent this morning, it's easier to be a dad, it's easier to tell your kids character matters. Now, Van Jones is an African-American announcer of huge repute um, and and, um, often quite um, unbiased. I think he calls it as it is, but he just said this is a vindication for a lot of people who have really suffered and the whole I can't breathe, that wasn't just 
George Floyd. That was all of us. Well, there was not a dry eye in the house, including my own living room. So that was my teary moment. Then, Caro, are you a fan of the AFL trade period? No, I'm not. And I know that um, that puts me in the minority of footy writers, but I think it diminishes the premiership. And I'm not just saying that that because my team at the moment seems to be winning a lot of them. I've always felt that. I hate the way you barely have, barely does the, you know, the paint dry or the ink dry on the stories about the Swans or the Hawks or whoever it is, the Tigers have won the flag, that it's trade, trade, trade. It is a huge industry now and it is really a second season for people whose club hasn't done very well during the main season. And I I think it's false and I think it's artificial and I know trades do happen and I know it's got to happen and it's a great industry. It takes away from cricket and any other sport that's trying to get any sort of focus at the moment. You wouldn't believe the numbers trade radio does and, you know, the age age online when trades come up. But I think it diminishes from the real... The, the purity of sport. So that annoys me. Anyway, what about you, Corrie? Do you know anything about what's been happening during the trade period? No. <laughs> you've lost a few players. <laughs> you haven't been – you've been topping up with the wrong players in the last few years, I can tell you that. Well, and look, you know you've lost Isaac Smith just, now to Geelong. I know, I know. I just, I just you don't – did know that. I did know that. Bit. I just don't really care. You know what I do, Caro? I – Look at the form guide probably two weeks out from the season and see who's there and who's not, although I'm missing Isaac. Yep, don't care. Caro, what's the first film you're going to see at the cinema? Well, there's a choice. One of them is Ram. Oh, my God, which, that looks so good with Sam Neill. Yeah. And, and Miranda Richardson as his missus. Yeah, and Michael Caton. It's, yeah. got, it's got a lot of good actors and, and beautiful scenery it. of the outback and stuff. Well, it's a remake of a Swedish film that apparently had hardly any dialogue, and it's about sheep. If it's like Babette's Feast. It, no, no. Remember we went and saw that, and we came out just going, oh, my God, where is the gin and time? <laughs> oh, that that was a bit, 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 bit of a trial. Um, but there's another one. It's a new Sofia Coppola and it stars Bill Murray again, who, of course, was in Lost in Translation. It's a road trip, father and daughter. It's called On the Rocks. It's sort of boozy and it's about ageing and marriage. And um, Bill is um, trying to help his daughter, who is um, concerned about her husband. Anyway, look, it, I think it looks absolutely fantastic. It's had mixed reviews. Um, there is a film that has been on the outdoor promotion screen of my local cinema called The French Dispatch, a Wes Anderson film that has every famous actor, actress in in it, including Tilda Swinton. But it seems to have not been coming on, which I'm a bit... I hope I I haven't missed it. Well, I'm looking forward to... I know you didn't ask me, but you know how I said a couple of weeks ago I have a massive crush on Liam Neeson. He is in a new film playing a widower. It's called Made in Italy. Oh, oh yes, I did watch. see that. Yeah, that, there's a, and the British Film Festival's on as well. Yes. And they, oh, there's Blythe Spirit. We want to see the remake with Judy Dench. But there's heaps of other. Oh, films. and a wonderful one with Jude Law, a menacing domestic drama. Yeah, there's a few menacing ones. Can't so wait. A few historic. No, it looks great. Caro, lovely episode. Nice to catch up. Miss Jane, thanks for everything. Thank you to our podcast supporters, Click for Vic and Prince Wine Store. Don't forget that little gin deal that's going at Prince Wine Store. You'll find all of the links to these and other things, and including the wonderful recipe for Salsa Verde. You will find it in links in our show notes. And please, please keep your com- comments coming. We love to hear from you. We love emails. We love 
comments on Instagram, which is Don't Shoot Pod, uh, our Facebook page. Just please get in touch with us, and you can just email us feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you to my sister-in-law, Kerry Shea Loder, for her San Francisco Democrat view of the election. And thank you, Kara, for your company. What do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast. This episode has been proudly supported by Prince Wine Store. Prince Wine Store bring wine enthusiasts the greatest wines in the world and they deliver Australia-wide. Visit princewinestore.com.au and enter the promo code MESS, as in messenger, at the checkout to receive a special Don't Shoot the Messenger listener discount.